Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, including Apple doing exactly what Google did, which was having third-party contractors listen to your Siri requests. We'll explore that topic in a minute. The book Console Wars comes to Hulu. NVIDIA Shield gets updated again after four or five years out in the marketplace, probably the most updated Android device there is. But Roku owners are getting scammed when they try to activate their device and go to the wrong link. We'll talk about that. Negative reviews online can get you sued. I'll talk about how I protect myself against those things. Uh, the Bose Quiet Comfort headset that I reviewed a while back has a long-term defect, and it doesn't look like Bose wants to do much about it. We'll talk about that in a minute and kind of contrast it to how Apple handled its keyboard situation. Uh, someone asked about IPv6 adoption, which we'll explore in a few minutes in the Q&A section. And we'll also talk about what kind of gear do you need to start your channel. And it's going to be more advice than hardware recommendations because I want to make sure everyone uh, starts on the right foot here. So lots to explore today and let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. And we had a bunch that made Super Chat contributions. They include Brian Parker, who made a gold level contribution, Destructo Disc, Asti Fu, Stacey Alexandria, Robert Van Etta. We also had Paolo Marini and Carol Terminsky, who all contributed via last week's wrap-up premiere. And then we had two new folks contribute monthly to the donor box, including Michael Nistler and David Bown. And I want to thank everyone for their contributions last week, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis as well, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by our friends at Plex and their Plex Pass add-on. What Plex can do for you is take all of the media that you have sitting on folders on your computer and organize it for you and make it accessible wherever you are in the world. You install it on your PC or on your NAS device. You point it at those folders where those TV shows, music, and movies are stored, and it gives you this great rich media experience that works anywhere in the world. In fact, Plex can even take large media and make it smaller for when you're trying to stream it over to your cell phone while you're in the car driving somewhere. Now, this weekend, my family and I went away. We went to Door County, Wisconsin. It was a great short weekend trip. Had a little family gathering to go to. And I was able to take a documentary that I've been meaning to watch that was on my Plex server from a Blu-ray that I got a little while ago. And I was able to watch it on the plane by making use of the Plex Sync feature. So all you have to do when you have the Plex Pass installed is click the download button, select the video quality you want to watch it at, and then click on Save. And then that media will be available for you to watch while you're on the road. And one of the cool things about it is that it keeps your uh, bookmark where you last left off. So if you got maybe an hour into it and then closed it when you got home, it would pick up right where you left off in full resolution on your TV, for example. Plex works on just about anything out there with a screen. It is very flexible. Uh, There's a lot of things you can do with it for free, but if you opt for their Plex Pass which is available on a monthly or yearly subscription and a lifetime subscription, 
you get a whole bunch of features and access to all the new ones as they become available. And you can find out more at the link you see on screen to purchase a Plex Pass, or you can download Plex for free and start playing with it and see if any of these features have value for you down the road. I want to thank Plex for their ongoing support of the channel and hope you might check it out if you haven't done so already. So let's take a look now at the week in review. We have these videos all linked down below in the video description. Uh, The first thing we did on the Extras channel was unbox the HP Pavilion X360. It's a 14-inch, two-in-one laptop uh, that right now is available for a pretty good price. I think it's like less than 600 bucks with an i5 and a 1080p display. You can see that unboxing on the Extras channel, and we'll have a full review a little later this week. And then on the main channel, we reviewed a few different things, including the Circle Home Plus which uses some hacking techniques to redirect traffic from any computer on your network to the box, and then it can filter uh, things based on rules that you set. I'm kind of uneasy as to how it works because it does actually use a technique that a lot of hackers do to intercept traffic. It does exactly the same thing, and it's cloud-controlled as well, which raises some issues too, but it's kind of a neat idea, if not perhaps a little scary, and you can see more in the video uh, playlist down below. Uh, We also reviewed the Lenovo ThinkBook 13S. It's a thin and light laptop from Lenovo that is kind of a cross between one of their consumer laptops and their pricier ThinkPads. Definitely check that out if you're in the market for a laptop. And then we had our monthly sponsored Plex video where we dive into a feature. Uh, This month we looked at monitoring and notifications and what you can do to keep an eye as to what is happening on your Plex server anytime you want. Lots of good stuff there. You can see it all in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And if you remember about two or three weeks ago, we were talking about how Google was turning over recordings from their assistant to a third-party contractor. Uh, That contractor then leaked the recordings to the media, and this television station out of Belgium went around and started finding people who had made the recordings and surprising them with some information that they've been listening into some private requests of their assistant. Well, it turns out... Apple was doing the same thing. They were allowing contractors to hear confidential details on Siri recordings, and you can read more about it at The Guardian here on screen. Uh, Last week, Apple, though, suspended the program, and this, of course, is in response to the security concerns that that obviously raises, and TechCrunch here reports that Apple uh, is going to suspend the program, and they will probably have a future software update where users can choose to participate What it doesn't say, though, is whether or not this is an opt-in or an opt-out. And I think it's really a black eye on Apple who really prides themselves on being this safe and secure company, yet they were turning over user data to a third party, uh, much the same way Google was as well. So we'll have to see if this is going to be an opt-in. I doubt it, but who knows? And we'll maybe take a look at an update on this story when Apple does push that software update through. And I was very excited to see that Console Wars, one of my favorite books of the last 10 years or so, is being made into a miniseries on Hulu. Uh, This book chronicles the effort that Sega undertook to knock down Nintendo's video game market share. And they did this around the time the Sega Genesis back there was released. And Sega was very successful in that effort. And this details all the things that they did. Uh, It's a very entertaining read. It's a great business book. And it's a great historical document for those of us who are into video games like I am. And it's really a great read, both in print and in audio. And now we'll have a dramatization on Hulu as well, according to Deadline.com here. And it's going to be a fun 
uh, series, I think, to check out, especially if you're into the retro gaming scene. I interviewed Blake Harris, the author, back in the very early days of this channel. You can check out that interview linked down below in the master playlist. I'm also going to put in a link to an interview I did with Tom Kalinske, who was the CEO of Sega back then as well. Uh, really great guys to talk to, and this story is just wonderful. So check it out on print or audiobook if you haven't already, and then watch the miniseries when it releases on Hulu. I think it's going to be great. Now, if you use Android devices, you'll know that frequent updates are not something you see very often, especially when you're four years into a product's lifespan. But NVIDIA continues to deliver. Uh, they dropped Shield Experience 8.0 last week, which brings Android 9.0 Pi to the NVIDIA Shield. And that's great because my original NVIDIA Shield from release day uh, is still getting updated frequently, just like any new one that you might purchase. And they've been really, really good about this, probably among the best in the industry when it comes to providing frequent updates to their users. You can get all the technical details at XDA Developers. Uh, from a consumer standpoint, though, there's not much here. It really functions the same as it did before. The interface is largely the same. Uh, the big thing that I noticed for what I do with my shields is that it does add the option to match content color space if you go into uh, the settings, display and sound and advanced. And this is helpful because if you are watching 1080p Blu-rays on your Plex app, for example, and then you want to switch to an HDR app, the shield wasn't always switching color spaces properly or it was leaving you in a color space that wasn't native to the Blu-ray discs, for example. Uh, now it should be able to switch between them, uh, which is a subtle change, but a big one for those of us who like to use our shields as the all-in-one media consumption device. There's a bunch of other features that you can see as well, again, over at the XDA developer site, and really good on NVIDIA for keeping us updated many, many years after the initial release of this product. Now, we've been spending some time here on the channel talking about technical support scams and all the different schemes that these scammers are doing to trick people into turning over their personal information or their money. Here's another one that's targeting Roku owners. Now, a week or two ago, we talked about how Roku is the market leader for set-top boxes. Well, these folks are taking advantage of that, according to Cord Cutters News. You can find the article linked here on screen. Uh, what's happening is, is that these scammers are getting good SEO position for uh, Roku setup instructions. And as uh, some of you know who own a Roku, the way it works is that you initially set up an account on your computer, and then the Roku box will give you a link that you have to type into the computer to link the box to your account. Not hard for us tech-savvy people to do, but there are folks out there who get confused by this, and a lot of people never go to a link directly in their web browser. Uh, they just type in a Google search and then click on through there. My father does that all the time. And what these folks are doing is they are providing you with the proper information here as to how to get your Roku set up. But what they've done at the bottom is put a toll-free number on screen. And this number, presumably, will go to a fake call center. And when you call into that call center, that's when they extract money from you. So in this instance, according to the article, uh, they were getting people to pay $100 just to activate their Roku boxes. And who knows what else was going on in the course of that. And the crazy thing was, was that this site uh, had about a 50% uh, position on the Google search results. It was basically a front page result about halfway down the page. And that kind of surprised me that Google wasn't doing more to filter out some of this scammy stuff. And they were really clever about 
how they went about it. So again, this is another example of how this stuff sits out here and preys on people that are not the most tech savvy. So definitely, if you can, help your relatives set up their Roku boxes to prevent something like this happening to them. Now, if you're someone who likes to leave product reviews online like I do, you should probably check out this story at CBS This Morning. Uh, The guy you see on screen here took his dog to the vet. The dog died while at the vet's office, and the guy blamed the vet for the dog's demise. He posted a review with all of the things that happened during the course of this interaction with the veterinarian. The veterinarian, in turn, sued him for libel, claiming that the review he posted was false and hurting his business. And this guy had to defend himself in court, and it cost him a fortune, about $25,000, I believe he eventually won the case because it was proven that the things that he alleged in the review actually took place, and that really hurt the case of the veterinarian. But nonetheless, this guy was stuck with the legal defense costs. I think he was able to recover some of that through a counterclaim that he filed as part of this lawsuit, but this is just the kind of thing that can happen even with an innocent review that you might post up on one of the local sites like Yelp or Google or something like that. So keep those things in mind as you are posting because this is a growing trend of businesses deciding to sue people, even if the reviews are true, because they know you can't afford to defend yourself, and you'll probably look at it and say, you know what, is it worth it for me to keep this review of this restaurant online if I'm going to be hit with a lawsuit that might cost me $50,000? You'll probably take it down, and that'll be the end of it. And Unfortunately, a lot of businesses and lawyers are discovering this is a great way to uh, get things going back in their direction. This guy was kind of the exception in, in that he decided to fight it, But of course, that cost him a lot of stress and money, and his dog died on top of all of that. So check it out, because I think it's something you should be thinking about, especially if you decide to post something that is not true, Uh, because if you just intentionally go out to post false reviews of a company and hurt their business, not only will you have to defend yourself in court, you might have to pay restitution for the damages that you created. Even an innocent post online can have a lot of impact, and you have to realize that when you go into things and really make sure that you're sticking to the facts and sticking to the facts is often not enough to prevent you from getting sued in the first place. Uh, What I have is a very expensive insurance policy. Next to payroll, it is the most expensive annual expense I have here on the channel, but I have it because it covers defense costs. So if I ever do get sued, I'm covered in that I can defend myself without uh, putting myself out of business to keep that review online. But it's something you should really be thinking about especially if you are posting things online, that there is a risk that you could be taken to court and that court action might cost you a lot of money even if you are going to eventually win that case. And now it's time for an update of some prior things that I've reviewed here on the channel. And today we're going to talk about my Bose Quiet Comfort 35s that I reviewed about two years ago. I bought these out of one of those Best Buy vending machines because it costs the same as Amazon and I was at the airport about to get on a flight. And I said, hey, I could try them out and review them when I get home. And I've been very pleased with them overall. Over the last two years, I take them on every trip that I go on. So I've probably used them maybe a half a dozen times or so since I purchased them. I generally don't use them when I'm at home, uh, but they're a really nice pair of headphones. I've been keeping them in their case. Everything's been good. Uh, What was odd, though, before this weekend trip that I took is that the battery was totally dead on these, and generally I charge them up fully before I put them back in the little case to store them for long-term storage there to keep the battery healthy. And what do you know, after I charged it up and flicked the switch to turn it off, uh, the thing turned itself back on again 30 seconds later. And I said, wow, that's weird. So I went online and started doing some searching to see if others are having similar problems. And it looks like this is a very widespread issue 
uh, with this headset after it goes out of its warranty. The warranty on these is only for about a year. This seems to be popping up about a year and a half or so after the headset was initially purchased. So I went over to the uh, Bose website to see if maybe they had some repair plan for this. Uh, because as you know, with Apple, they have some bad keyboards. They acknowledge that. And even if your computer is out of warranty, they will still fix it. With Bose here, that is not the case. They told me I could just buy another one at a discounted price, but I'm not going to do that if the thing's just going to break again. That doesn't seem like a very good way to treat a customer of a premium product like this. I then went on YouTube and tried to see if there were some other folks who had some potential solutions for this. And uh, this guy, Alex Iancielli here, does have the solution and he shows you how to fix it. It takes all of five minutes. Uh, You do have to take out this little plastic switch here and wrap something around it to put it back together. I guess what's happening is is that the plastic uh, switch here uh, is put down on top of the actual switch on the circuit board for the headset and a piece of that switch is breaking off over time. It's just a weak plastic that they chose for that part. This guy fixes it in like maybe five minutes and it's really beyond me why Bose won't Uh, do something good for its customers who are having this issue at scale. It wouldn't cost them all that much to take them back and have a repair program because the headset's perfectly fine. In fact, everything's fine about it except the little plastic switch that turns it on and off. So I'm probably going to do this to fix it myself, and I'm unlikely to buy another Bose product after this experience because if you're going to sell a premium product and there's a ticking time bomb inside of it that's going to break the product almost every time. Uh, You should maybe do something about it to keep that goodwill going, not just make you buy another one. It just didn't seem right to me. Uh, Apple certainly doesn't do that with their premium products, and hopefully Bose will address this at some point. But it looks like this guy has had almost 20,000 people with the same issue come to his YouTube video to fix it, and clearly there's something going on here that they need to address. And I have an update on the Circle Home Plus review that I did, because in the course of that review, I mentioned that one circumvention technique Uh, might be plugging in a USB network adapter to get around the one that your parents may have assigned to monitor. And there is a way actually to force the Circle Home Plus to monitor everything that's plugged into the network. And then you have to manually take them off of that monitoring to get more uh, free usage of the internet there. And that's something that Dennis here wrote in about Uh, that you can actually set it to monitor everything by default. And at that point, anything the kid plugs in will continue to be monitored. Uh, Dennis also, though, had some good comments about the Circle Plus uh, because he's been using the original, which was called Circle by Disney for years, and he loved it. Uh, But he doesn't like the fact that they are now moving to this subscription model that we talked about in the video and that they're paywalling all of the features that made the original product really attractive Um, So he is now augmenting the original circle with uh, Apple's screen time because uh, he's really not liking the direction the company is going in. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I thought this comment on my circle review was actually kind of funny because we talked a little bit about the fact that perhaps good parenting is more important than trying to continually monitor your children's activities. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing here is talking about something that happened on his or her campus. He or she is a teacher at an early college high school. So I'm guessing these are high school students taking college classes. And I guess the uh, campus went all digital. They handed out a Dell Windows 13-inch notebook computer and an iPad. And everyone complained about how restrictive this digital campus was. And then apparently the complaints disappeared just as quickly as they came because a few entrepreneurial and enterprising students figured out a way to get around it. 
and then they charged 10 bucks a pop to get your own device around the restrictions and everybody was happy again. So this is something that happens all the time. If you restrict a kid, the kid will figure out a way around those restrictions. Creativity comes out of limitation and certainly that is what will happen here if your kid is savvy enough to figure out how this stuff works and spend a little bit of time learning some basic networking techniques. And in this case, these kids are making some money and apparently some teachers jumped in on the deal and also had their devices jailbroken as well. And much ado about nothing here says go figure and that is exactly it. It will happen. So you're better off spending more time with the family and more time with the kids to understand uh, what they're doing online because any effort you're going to make to really monitor them will probably not work all that well as they get older. And in my Q&A for you this week, I would love to hear from some of you younger viewers out there about some ways that you got around your parents' monitoring or restrictions of your internet activity and whether or not they figured it out. And I'd also love to hear from the parents out there with some stories about how your kids managed to get around things that you were trying to put in place on them. I suspect we're going to have some really great stories down below in the comment stream. Maybe I'll share a few next week. Now, this next question comes in from James Lord, who is looking at building up a YouTube channel and is looking at some different types of hardware that he should purchase to make it all happen. And James asked on the Facebook group if I thought the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K was a good camera to build up a YouTube channel with, and I certainly think it's a great camera. A lot of YouTubers like the Blackmagic hardware. It costs less than some of the more expensive RED cameras out there might cost, for example, and it gives you a lot of flexibility for production. But these things do cost money, and my philosophy with YouTube has always been to focus on your content first, because I think if the content is good in that you're presenting well, you're giving people useful information, you're able to stand out in a way that's different than everyone else that's doing what you're doing on YouTube, all of those things I think are more important than really how the content looks. Good audio is critical. I think that's important to have a good microphone, but you can even buy a relatively cheap lavalier mic or something to get something passable to move forward with. And I think a lot of people make a mistake in buying all this equipment first before they have an audience. And oftentimes the audience is going to direct you as to what equipment you may end up needing. Uh, In my case, I started with my iPhone. I eventually went to other equipment as things really required it to make my workflow more efficient. So I eventually landed here on this TriCaster that I bought uh, back in 2014, actually. I'm still using the same piece of equipment I bought five years ago because it met every one of my needs then and now and allows me to do what you're seeing here on screen in real time. Uh, If I was doing this all over again, I probably would have been spending more time in OBS because it's free and can do a lot of what you see on screen here right now. Uh, So really, I think I would focus on what you have on hand and really look at how people are finding you, uh, making sure your content is findable, and then start listening to what the viewers are telling you to direct you for what you're going to do in the future. And here's a good example of what I'm talking about. There's two car guys that I love to watch quite a bit on YouTube. One is up here, Hoovy's Garage. He's really good. Uh, The other guy who's also very good is Doug DeMiro. These are like your average guys that love cars, and they uh, really talk about all of the consumer kind of accoutrements you run into when you're uh, buying used cars or just wanting to appreciate vehicles that you may not be able to get in your life. But they do it largely with smartphone cameras and not the best production value, But their personalities are great, and they're engaging, and the things that they're talking about are interesting, and they really spend more time on just getting you the content 
than they do trying to produce something that looks fancy and nice. And certainly there's a place for that. Uh, Marcus Brownlee does some excellent work with the very expensive equipment that he uses. It's become kind of his brand. Uh, But these guys do just as well in their space uh, with the equipment that they have on hand because they discovered, as I have, that you're better off posting a video that doesn't look so great than not posting anything at all. And you can always work on the content later. And Hoovy's often getting criticized because his mechanic doesn't have good audio, but he's been working on that as things have been going along. It did not harm his channel one bit uh, for the mechanic's audio to be a little bit low. And in recent months, I've been seeing he's been making improvements there. So again, I would take whatever you got, start there, and then see what you need to get your work done. And that's the approach that I took. The last thing you should do is go out and buy all this equipment before you have an audience. And most of us have a good phone, or at least a passable phone, that can take good video. And I think that's where you should start. Again, the one thing I would invest in would maybe be a lower cost microphone. Audio-Technica has some good stuff that works with cell phones. And I think that's where I would maybe get going with. Shoot outside in good daylight so you don't have to buy fancy lighting. And just go from there and see where you end up. Uh, because it's easy to spend a lot of money. And if your channel doesn't take off, now you've got a lot of equipment you're not using either. And that is my advice to you and anyone else that's looking to start a channel. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. Now, this next question comes in from Travis Rhodes about IPv6. He's wondering, does it work well? And should he switch his router over to it? Uh, My advice to him right now would be not to do that. Let your uh, router do its thing, because for a while here, we're going to be in a transition period where many sites will still be on the old version 4 address space And the newer sites, of course, will be accessible on IPv6 address space. And the reason why we're slowly moving to IPv6 is that we are running out of version 4 addresses. Uh, There are many, many, many more uh, IP addresses that can be had uh, in the new version 6 address space, but it's going to take a long time to get the entire internet over there. Uh, And right now, it looks like most ISPs are kind of handling things transparently to the user. If you want to know more about IPv6, I'll put a couple of videos down below in the master playlist. I'm actually curious to see what the rate of adoption is on it, so I started poking around a little bit this morning on that. And as it turns out, we are seeing a very nice adoption curve here. Uh, You can see where we were in 2009 to where we are right now. Uh, This is a, a thing that Google has been running to measure how many IPv6 connections they are getting. Uh, So now about 30% of Google's traffic is coming in via IPv6 versus the old address space. So that is looking like we're starting to see things finally taking off here. And every year is looking like it was more than the last year. Uh, There's also a report that the Internet Society issues every year. They haven't done the 2019 report yet, uh, but if you're interested, definitely check it out because they've got a lot of great statistics in here. Uh, So they say in 2018, about 25% of all internet-connected networks advertise V6 connectivity. So that is an improvement there. Uh, Google is saying 49 countries deliver more than 5% of traffic over IPv6. And if you go in a little bit deeper here, you can see that among broadband providers, Comcast is leading the pack. uh, 66.3% deployment across their entire network. Uh, Where I am, like everything else with Comcast, we don't have it yet. Uh, And there's a great test that you can run uh, at the address you see on screen here to let you know if you do have an IPv6 address assigned to your device. At this point, you likely will have both a V4 and a V6, so your router can decide how to route things to the right place. But over time, we'll probably see everything go to V6 once all of the uh, IPv4 holdouts are 
on the new, uh, the new standard here. Uh, now, interestingly, though, I did check out my mobile phone. I connected up to my Verizon wireless network, and sure enough, my cell phone is on IPv6 and v4, uh, but my home connection is not. And as we discovered here a few weeks ago, uh, if I'm in the right spot in town, my cell phone also has a much faster upload speed than I have on my Comcast connection, too. So we're definitely ahead of the game on wireless here. And that's probably for good reason, because there are so many smartphones out there. There's just not enough V4 addresses to go a lot around to support all of those. And if you look at uh, some other stuff from that report here, uh, India here is clearly leading the pack. Uh, the ISP Reliance Geo, which I believe is a mobile provider there, has 237 million uh, IPv6 users registered right now uh, because, again, those are mostly smartphones, and you have to really move over to this IPv6 address space to give them all an address. Uh, as we're seeing here, also Comcast and AT&T are also up there. Verizon Wireless is about 15.4 uh, million users, and this was a year ago, so they may be much further along now. And all really interesting because it looks like we are slowly getting there and it probably will be a point where it just happens and it just IPv4 just goes away. And it looks like there's going to be a very slow transition here. Uh, For the users out there, you don't need to do anything because your router and your internet service provider will manage all of this for you. Uh, But it is something interesting to keep an eye on because at some point if you are directing people to an IP address... Uh, that IP address will likely stop working at some point, and you'll have to provide your IPv6 address to get back to your home device. And if you want to learn more about the details of IPv6 and why it is so important, you can check out uh, this little quick video that Linus Tech Tips put together on his Tech Quickie channel. He's done a great job with these, trying to explain complex issues as fast as possible. took him about 6 minutes and 11 seconds to handle this one. Uh, You can see it at the link you see on screen. And this, of course, will lead you down the YouTube rabbit hole with more information on IPv6 so you can get a feel for how all of it works. Lots to look at there, and it will be impacting all of us at some point, even if we don't realize it. Now, this week, we've got a bunch of stuff planned. I already have shot my review of the IOSafe 1019 Plus NAS. Uh, This is a Synology NAS built into a fireproof and waterproof case. A little spoiler, we're not going to yet burn this thing, but we are working on trying to find a local fire department that might be doing some training or something, and we can put the device in a simulated home fire to see if it can keep the data secure. I'll talk about how they do all of that in the review. This thing's a monster. It weighs about 60 pounds with all the drives put into it, so it's definitely... Uh, got a lot of uh, good build quality to it, uh, and we'll look at how it performs and then hopefully burn one of them a little bit later in the year, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're also going to take a look at that X360 14 that I unboxed on the Extras channel. Hope to shoot that one a little later today or tomorrow. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the new 8-bit Doe SN30 Pro Plus controller. I've got one right here, and I'll tell you all about Uh, what I think of it once we get the review put together for it. So it's something to look forward to. They've been iterating their designs here, so this still has the familiar uh, Super Nintendo look to the front of it, but it's largely uh, more modern in having the grips here on the side and everything. Kind of a neat approach, and we'll uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive on this because there are a lot of customizations that you can put into play on this too. So lots to look at on that review coming up later in the week. I also hope to get to the color laser printer I talked about last week. We got the sponsorship stuff all worked out there, so be on the lookout. Very compact HP color laser printer that I've been playing around with over the last couple of days. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution. 
I am also going to slowly expand out my membership tiers here on YouTube as well uh, because they are now allowing tiering and I found that at the lower tiers at a dollar and five dollars it's about the same take that I'll get from my credit card company here with uh, DonorBox, which is what I typically use. just want to have as many options as possible for people that want to support the channel. Uh, YouTube, though, takes a lot. They take almost 30%, uh, which is still much more than any of the other people out there. But I think at the lower numbers, based on how the credit card fees work, it's a little closer to what I typically pay through my other sources. So I just figured I would uh, keep everything open there. Right now, I think we're still at $4.99 for uh, support on membership, but I'll be adding a dollar option in the very near future, so stay tuned for that. We also, of course, have our ongoing relationship with Plex, so if you download Plex for free and install it, we get a small commission, no credit card required, but you can buy a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else and we'll get a slightly larger commission. Now, in addition to this channel, I've got other places where you can find me, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast, which is the audio version of this show, so if you're driving or commuting or whatever, you can listen to me without having to look at me. That might be preferable for some of you. Uh, we also have my snippets channel where I take portions of this show and make them more search friendly so you can share a particular topic with a friend without making them watch the whole thing. And then we've got my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams uh, where you can watch all of my prior live streams because I don't often push those live streams out to subscribers Uh, just because they're rather long and are hard to follow sometimes in the same way you might follow an edited video. So I'm very careful about overloading subscriber feeds, but there's a lot of fun stuff in there. You can watch me tinkering around with a whole bunch of things on that live stream link there. Now, if you like what I do, you can click on the bell and you'll be notified anytime anything happens on this channel, which might be useful. We also have ways you can engage with the channel, including my very infrequent email list, uh, the Facebook page, Our Facebook group is now over 700. We have 702 on there right now, I believe. So you can sign up there and be a part of our growing community. And then we have my store at lon.tv slash store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel. I've got more to put up there later this week, including my Samsung VR headset. And you can go to this email uh, list here, lon.tv slash store alert, to let you know anytime I add something to the store so you don't have to always go back and check. Uh, So be on the lookout for uh, that and more stuff on the store a little bit later in the week. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Love to hear what you all think of this content and whether or not you want to see different things or other things or like what you're seeing already. Let me know down in the comment stream below. I'm also thinking about maybe going to a Discord server as well. It seems like all the cool kids are doing that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Discord down below in the comment stream. And we've got a lot planned for this week, so stay tuned. Lots more fun stuff to come. And until next time, this is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold-level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, emudev.org, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more.
And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.